0: Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is where you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu, and this is the Thanksgiving week edition of Cloud Unfiltered. You actually are probably not hearing this on Thanksgiving week because we're recording it during Thanksgiving week. And we have such a fancy and complicated post-production process that this won't be out till after you've already fattened yourself up on stuffing and turkey and sweet potatoes and all the goodies. So that's what's going on here in, in real time. Uh, Today, we're really excited because we've got, uh, you know, the OpenStack Summit just happened. And uh, we've got somebody from one of the, the marquee projects that was kind of launched at this past summit. It's been getting a lot of press, a lot of attention. His name is Glenn Seiler. He is from Wind River Systems, where he is VP of Product Management. Welcome, Glenn.
1: Thank you, Allie. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Pete, good morning. Always a pleasure to be interviewing with you.
1: Hey, Ali. glad to be back as always. And, and like you said, this is not only a marquee product project, but it's, it's a really interesting, I think that the next next wave of technology that a lot of people are gonna be paying attention to uh, is gonna be, be centered around the topic that we've got for, for this episode and, and an upcoming episode we've got here as well. So excited to talk about this.
0: Yeah, so, so the, the project that we're referring to um, is called Starling X. For those of you who haven't heard about it, Um, Glenn, why don't you go ahead and give me a high-level summary first of of what Starlink X is and what it's intended to achieve.
2: Sure. So Starlink X is is essentially a full-featured open-source cloud stack designed specifically for the distributed edge. So it's a a software stack uh, that basically encompasses all of the technology components uh, necessary for a cloud infrastructure, uh, targeted for many of the broad use cases uh, for the edge.
0: That sounds really uh, ambitious. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and, And yeah, it sounds like it could be a lot of things. So if you're someone who's already using any number of the OpenStack components of the core components, even some of the less core components, what's the need? What drove the need for this?
2: Okay, great question. So really there's a set of, of capabilities that didn't really exist in what I would call the enterprise cloud solutions and These are things uh, such as high resiliency, low latency, uh, configuration management, software management, performance management, things of that nature that that really didn't exist in more traditional enterprise cloud stacks. And as you start to evolve the data center cloud or enterprise cloud down to the edge, then, you know, things like, you know, very low latency, very small footprint, uh, high resiliency, uh, things of that nature uh, are required. And so what Starling X brings to the table that's perhaps new and and not uh, existing in previous uh, enterprise cloud solutions are these services. And one other point I think is is important to note Starlinex evolved out of the telco industry uh, out of a, an NFV network functions virtualization stack where some of these you know high availability and, and uh, reliability and software management requirements are are required in telco and Starlinex has taken that core capability, and created a, a broader edge software stack that can really be targeted uh, or used by uh, many different industries. It's not specifically for telco. Uh, we have organizations in the uh, industrial 4.0 market, uh, in aerospace and defense, as well as automa- uh, automotive that are all looking for this kind of solution.
0: Interesting. Hey, Pete. I know you had um, some questions about the specific either features or or components of Starling X.
1: Yeah, I, I do. So you've got you've got a nice uh, article out there describing sort of what Starling X is, and you've got a nice uh, block diagram that shows what some of the services are. But I guess before right. we dig into that, let me ask you at a higher level because I think industry wide we're pretty muddied on this. What what in your definition? Of edge as opposed to IoT, because those two things tend to get thrown together in different ways. And for a lot of people, including myself, it's it's hard to know where does one leave off and where does the other end.
2: Well, great question. And as you already know, if, you know, every person you ask is probably gonna have a slightly different answer. So one of the things that I like to do, first of all, is is talk about what the edge is not. And okay. And it's not the device the, you know, and so by device, I'm talking about the drone, the robotic arm, the cell phone, uh, you know, things of that nature, the car itself. Um, although that is a little blurry, but I, I don't really consider those the edge now what i do consider the edge in telco it's you know often referred to as the central office all the way down to the base station itself in industrial it could be the on-premise the uh, for factory automation Um, it could be uh, in high density venues such as stadiums and shopping malls that would be considered as well and, and uh, there's also a discussion about far edge versus near edge. And, and I, I kind of consider the near edge more of the aggregation point. So it could be the central office, things of that nature. Whereas, again, the far edge is really all the way out to where the device is. But one classification or, or definition that I particularly like is defining it not by location, but by latency. Because the edge is really anywhere the uh, where the communication between the device and the compute that is you know managing and communicating with that device, the latency requirements are you know anywhere from 20 to maybe a maximum of 50 milliseconds or less. okay And, and so
1: that really kind of defines
2: the edge.
1: So in, in that definition, then, and contrasting that with IoT, IoT use cases tend to focus on gathering data from um, remote places and then shipping that data back to some central processing point, whereas I think as you're defining edge, that processing point is the thing that's distributed and is defined by that 20 to, to 50 millisecond uh, response time that you just mentioned. Is that close? Yes, that's that's... That's correct. Um, I also associate
2: IOT you know with the devices themselves, uh, which you know, you know, the edge, I, I really don't. I kind of you know the, the device and the edge is where the separation is. With IOT, uh, as you rightly indicated, you know typically there's uh, a, uh, an IOT gateway or something that connects to the devices, and then the IOT gateway, might uh, then uh, send that data up all the way to uh, a data center or a public cloud or something of that nature, and you know I think historically or, or previously uh, the the concept of an edge cloud wasn't really included in the typical IoT architecture. Sure, it was device it was device to device gateway and then up to the cloud. Sure, and 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 I think what's happening now with uh, with edge and and the edge clouds is that they're coming down from the gateway and starting to converge with these IoT devices.
1: And okay. I, yeah. Well, I think we've got a good academic definition of what we mean by edge versus IoT. Now, you mentioned a couple different verticals that are active in this. Uh, Edge phenomenon. Can you talk about a couple of use cases before we get into how your platform potentially helps solve those use cases? Certainly. Uh, I already mentioned the telco use case, which is
2: you know kind of the 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 most obvious or, or the one that I think is probably the uh, most common use case, and and that. Is r- primarily around radio access networks today, mobile access computing, mobile access edge computing, those types of use cases, uh, pretty common. And so we're seeing a lot of organizations that are pushing compute
1: uh, all the way down to the base station. So like having a having we're like a cabinet at the at the cell to- at like a cell phone tower base. You're talking about? Absolutely,
2: that's that's becoming quite common, and then. You know, providing services, whether it's video services, caching services, which is probably one of the most prominent uh, use cases, I think, today, because that actually drives revenue. Sure. Um, but uh, in other markets, in healthcare, for example, is one that I like to, to discuss. And I, I have a, a couple of uh, clients that are, are evaluating Starling X for Edge use cases there. So you can envision a large hospital complex where you might need a, a, an edge cloud that you know, would have redundancy, uh, have a lot of, of compute power, and then there might be you know smaller edge servers, at each one of the uh, you know principal divisions, there might be an edge server in the patient care, might be an edge server in the X-ray lab, and each one of those might be you know collecting, managing data from different devices. Could be uh, MRI machines, uh, other types of, of X-ray machines. Could be monitoring patient care. Uh, you know where the patients are actual where the patients are actually um, hospitalized. So. That's one example of of healthcare, and then you could scale that down to smaller, you know, perhaps outpatient centers that don't need as much power. They don't uh, perhaps have inpatient care, but they're still doing MRIs and things like that. So that's uh, another example in healthcare, and then we have a lot of industrial applications as well, uh, primarily on premise. Uh, factory automation, uh, those uh, types of use cases. What we're seeing, uh, I was just going to say, what we're seeing in industrial is, is that the digital transformation where uh, companies are taking you know, older PLCs and distributed control mm-hmm. systems, virtualizing those and
1: starting to automate uh, the factories and the processing centers. Okay, so that that 20 to 50 millisecond lead time that you're talking about, that kind of defines what edge is, then becomes very obvious in the context of those use cases, because you want quick turnaround time for all those things, certainly. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that that makes complete sense. So then let's move on to now we've kind of defined like the, the academia and the use cases. So, what are the what are the limiting factors that people are experiencing when they try to do these deployments now that Starling X can help them solve? Uh,
2: certainly. So, again, so one of the things is just scalability, and most uh, clouds today, enterprise data center clouds, are you know really designed for uh, very large control planes. Uh, oftentimes, OpenStack services might Be you know each OpenStack service, whether it's Glance or Nova or Neutron, may actually be on its own server. That's certainly the that's certainly the old kind of traditional way. So one of the things that we've done in StarlingX is we've you know hyper converged all these services, control plane services, down to a single server, so that for those use cases that require it, you can actually combine a control plane. A data, uh, a data plane or a workload, compute, as well as storage into a single server running, say, a Xeon D on eight cores or something. And so you get a pretty small footprint. Mm-hmm. So scalability is, is certainly one of the key uh, attributes that, that StarlingX is bringing. Now, some of the other things are what we call the, the StarlingX services we fondly refer to that as the flock and, and it's, it's things like such as, such as uh, fault management and you know monitoring for uh, for threshold alerts monitoring for failures logging and alerting for those failures uh, Things such as software management, the ability to uh, upgrade the entire infrastructure stack, whether it's the Linux kernel or or the OpenStack services themselves. So, uh, software management, uh, host management, uh, failover, the ability uh, if you have multiple servers to actually fail over uh, services from one. Uh, uh, one server to another compute node to another, and and things of that nature, which we've been able to take those services, and move them all the way down to the edge, uh, in as little as a single server, if,
1: uh, if that's what's required. Okay, so so if you if you take um, if, if you go to starlingx.io and you go to look at the blog, you've got a really nice initial blog entry that describes some of these things that you just described verbally. and there's a really nice block diagram that mentions those those five flock services that you just mentioned the config management, fault management, host management, service management, and software management. and then there's a nice list of open source building blocks that you guys are using underneath the hood to provide all those. Exactly. So, so functionally, how does this look to me as, let's say, let's, let's talk about a couple of different um, personas here. So if, if I'm like the IT ops person, do, do these things just plug into my existing Horizon UI or what does this look like to me? Um, so we provide a Horizon UI
2: and um, we've made a few enhancements or plugins to Horizon uh, to uh, support things such as our uh, node management um, and uh, configuration management, inventory management, that type of thing. Okay. Uh, but, but for the most part, uh, yes, it is uh, essentially a uh, horizon with some uh, enhancements that that we have brought to the open
1: source uh, community through Starlinx. Okay, and is that? I mean, you guys could have done this as a wholly separate open source project, but instead you made the choice to sort of piggyback on top of OpenStack. Was was that part of why? So you didn't have to reinvent that wheel when it came to the management UI or what all went into that choice to be part of, of OpenStack as opposed to standalone.
2: Oh, great question. Uh, so, so first of all, you know, StarlingX uses a lot of OpenStack services, right? Ah, so the there you go. The control plane, the control plane for StarlingX, uh, is based on core OpenStack services, Neutron, Nova, uh, in particular, uh, as well as Glance and Keystone. Uh, and it, there's 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 quite an exhaustive list, and you know, and and in, in a lot of cases, we uh, as we develop StarlingX would have to uh, you know, make uh, plugins to Neutron, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would have to upstream some patches to Nova or, or some of the other services, and and because there was such a tight uh, affinity or relationship with OpenStack, you know, it really made sense to partner with the OpenStack community to you know to drive a whole solution forward. Um, The OpenStack community has been extremely supportive of of this uh, of of this initiative and this effort, and it's it's really been a
1: a a very uh, pleasant uh, uh, experience. Cool. So, is is the intent then to keep the same cadence as the broader OpenStack releases, so to have some kind of major contribution every six months or so?
2: Well, actually, right now, we're moving at a little bit faster cadence than OpenStack. Our, uh, our, our plan is to, to do a release of StarlingX about every four months rather oh, than okay. six months uh, for OpenStack. Now, we, that might change over time, but initially, we wanted to get the first release of StarlingX out quickly. And, uh, and and really, what we did with the first release is what I call infrastructure. Um, we put together the build environment, the build tools, the test tools. You know, making making it uh, available to the open source community. And and that was so. It was really just the bring up. And now we have a set of of pretty ambitious goals for release two. Uh, specifically around things like containerizing OpenStack um, and and providing a a complete container platform. Another uh, initiative or ambition that we have is to uh, continue to uh, to create a complete distributed edge cloud based on the concept of OpenStack regions. So we want to get the first releases of these new, Capabilities out uh, to the market so that they can be uh, tested and people can start using them uh, in you know proof of concepts and things of that nature. Okay. Uh, you know,
1: uh, yeah. So right now it's a, a four month cadence. Nice. Okay. Well, that's <clears throat> that's interesting that you're taking a slightly different cadence, um, but I can certainly see why you'd want to build on on top of the uh, on top of OpenStack then if you're going to reuse a bunch of those existing services. Um, yes. Well, so let me let me let's let's talk through another use case here, and eventually get to the developer perspective. So we kind of already talked about the IT ops perspective a little bit, but but suppose suppose I've got like a like a fast food chain, and I've got ten thousand locations in North America, and I might have a hyper you know I might have a small hyperflex box in each one of my locations that. Presumably, my IT ops person might use the Starling X host management services to connect to some some central governing authority where one central IT ops person can see all those things. Um, so, I guess my first question then is: Okay, so to that IT ops person, does each one of those locations that has has a uh, that has a hyperconverged box in it, does each one of those show up as a separate? Given what you were just talking about, does that each one show up as a separate OpenStack region, or do I just do I just see like a is that just a sea of compute nodes on top of which I, I let the software decide where my next VM or where my next container is going to spin up?
2: Sure. So uh, so quickly, those would be what we call compute nodes. Okay. And and so there could be you know literally thousands. Of those, at least in theory, thousands of
1: those computers. Sure, nodes. T- ten thousand in my example, one in each physical location. Yes. Let's
2: say yes. So, the the concept uh, of of what we're doing with Starling X is that we have the control plane services and the compute node services. They can be uh, they can be hyperconverged together into a single box, or they can be geographically distributed. As we evolve towards this distributed edge cloud that I mentioned, which is one of the sub-projects and is uh, an initiative that is one of our uh, you know, one of our prime initiatives for the future releases, yeah. as we move towards this distributed edge cloud, we would regionalize the control plane services. And, and so that only the compute uh, compute node, the workloads with as little uh, control plane services as needed would be at these 10,000 locations. Okay. And then those would be managed uh, at the regional uh, control plane. And there would be a single pane of glass using horizon that uh, you know would be able to, Uh, you know, to provision, to manage the uh, thousands of different workloads. And, you know, it could be even more hierarchical. So you could potentially have uh, multiple of these regional controllers within yet another, you know, even further centralized, uh, you know, data center, mini data center. So it could be, you know, a hierarchy of two layers or potentially even three layers. Uh, but but the key important concept here is that the regional controller would would have most of the control plane services. So at the regional level, you would ma- uh, you would have centralized storage. You would uh, you know be able to uh, manage backups, manage upgrades, uh, provision out. Uh, you know, new software from these regional centers. Uh, You would have some federated security, you know, based on Keystone, which is one of the uh, technologies that the industry is really trying to work on right now, federating Keystone across this distributed edge for security. But most of the services would be, uh, control plane services would be managed regionally. So uh, you would be able to monitor for faults, and and then take appropriate action, you know, from this regional uh, 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 regional uh, s- control plane.
1: Okay. Well, then, so you mentioned the software management. So let's let's move up the OSI stack a little bit here, and let's talk about this from from layer seven and above from the developer perspective. So in okay. in my use case that I mentioned before, suppose I've got ten thousand fast food locations, and I'd like I'd like these local nodes to handle the. Um, mobile ordering for for each of my individual locations so what does that look like from a developer perspective to get that order taking and management software on that local node and then what happens with like hadr kind of situations where like if if the physical hardware goes down in one location is at, at, at what point in the system is it whose responsibility is it to make sure that that ordering system Spins up on the next closest node in—I hesitate to call it a cluster—but in this grouping of hosts that we have—is that something that Starling's going to handle on itself automatically, or is that on the layer seven app developer to figure out the the failover on that?
2: Okay, um, so I I think there might be a, a combination there. So so first of all, it. Depends at the at the uh, at the at the local store that you mentioned. If there is just the single server, and and that single server fails, right? Then there there really would not be a a a, a capability to uh, you know migrate the service over to another server at the same store. Um, so if there is a requirement for a high availability uh, you know, type of, of application, then what is recommended is that you would have a, what we call a duplex servers. You could have two low cost servers at the store. And then uh, the Starling X, the centralized regional uh, control plane services, would be able to uh, monitor and, and recognize a fault uh a failure in the server and then uh you know either uh migrate the application directly from the one server to the other or if it's a hard failure the server's completely down mm. then repro- reprovision uh a, uh a a copy of that workload probably through a container uh to uh to the other server
1: so that you can get up and running uh immediately uh, at that location so it would be a, so, so it's not. I, I, I'm reading too much into this to think that it's going to do failover across multiple locations, but it sounds like it can, it can, it's got the hooks in there for you to be able to do failover within an existing, within a single location.
2: Yeah. So I, I guess that's so, I guess that it kind of depends, like you said, on where it's at layer seven or, or, or layer. Uh, we, we certainly have the capability to, uh, to do, you know, failover at, uh, at the lower layers at the, what I call the infrastructure layer. Okay. Um, now if, if you have, uh, we can also monitor applications. And so that would be at, you know, layer six or seven. And if there's just an application failure, uh, on these local nodes, then you can, uh, Know, reprovision or restart the application. We can identify the fact that the application's failed. So, you know, there's without getting into the the age old debate of uh, you know infrastructure HA failover versus application yeah. HA failover. Um, the, the 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 short answer is Starling X can accommodate both because oftentimes you need both. Sure. Uh, an infrastructure HA, as well as application HA. Sure. Um, and, and so what StarlingX really provides is the infrastructure level HA. And, and then if the application HA is required, then that would be done at layer seven. Um, but we certainly have uh, API's, we have uh, uh, heartbeat API's, uh, other, you know, checkpointing API's, and things of that nature that enable uh, application failover if that's required in the application.
1: Okay. Thanks for explaining that. That makes it a lot clearer. Um, well, let me let me conclude my portion of this before I turn it back over to um, What What's coming up on the roadmap for you guys? Well, we're doing some pretty exciting things.
2: Right now, uh, Starling X, when it was initially designed, was primarily a a a v-oriented infrastructure platform
1: okay
2: and and in our next release what we're doing is moving to a a full kubernetes-based container platform and what we are doing what our plans are is to containerize the openstack services such so that if if uh, if an organization wants to deploy uh, VMs, then we can deploy OpenStack services in a container and run the VM as a container on those services. Hmm. Now, what this what this does is it allows us to really provide a, a much smaller footprint uh, because we'll have you know just a, a container based environment without the hypervisor, and, and so on. And, and this will allow us to, to further reduce the footprint, but it will also allow us to support both containers and VMs right. in, a, in a single architecture. And then, depending on whether the organization wants to you know, use VMs or, or containers, you can deploy both as what we call equal citizens. So we don't have an architecture that's strictly just containers at the the expense of VMs and vice versa. And still be able to use all of these Starlinex services that I mentioned, whether the workload is a container-based workload or a VM-based workload. And
1: is that going to be Kubernetes-based, Swarm-based? What's going to be Uh, It will be Kubernetes. Okay. uh, Kubernetes-based. And and going back... Going back to the use case i yep. talked about before, so would that Kubernetes cluster span multiple hosts within a location or would it span multiple locations given the use case conversation we just had? Um, so really it, it could be
2: either. Um, you could have multiple locations that would all be part of a uh, a single Kubernetes cluster managed at the at the regional uh at, at the regional location, as I described, or you could have, you know, smaller Kubernetes clusters locally. It uh, Really, just kind of depends on the use case. Uh, we envision primarily the former that you would have, you know, smaller uh, workload-based servers locally, and then managed by a more central uh, Kubernetes cluster. That's really uh, what how we envision most. Uh, uh, use cases or, or workloads be. Okay,
0: great. Good questions, Pete. Thank you for diving in there and, uh, really exploring those use cases. Uh, those were great questions. Thanks. Um, so as we wrap up, um, Glenn, you know, when I introduced you in the beginning, what I didn't, I introduced where you work from and what your role is there, but I did not introduce, we didn't talk about what's your role at Starling. Are you on the technical steering committee? Are you the PTL? What is your, what is your role there?
2: Uh, so it's really more of a, uh, marketing and, and, uh, strategy and, uh, liaison role. Excellent. Uh, And yeah, so, uh, what I do is I work with other community organizations as well as, uh, my customer base to bring in requirements to the X community, um,
0: How many folks would you say are working on this project right now?
2: Oh, goodness. We're probably around 100 right now. Um, We started out primarily as a a joint initiative between Intel and Wind River. And uh, we just filled out our technical steering committee with members from Huawei, Ericsson, uh, some other uh, companies, uh, InterDynamics, as well as 99Cloud. And we're starting to get developers uh, from a pretty broad uh, set of, of organizations and, and geographies. So it's pretty exciting. And I'd say it's, it's grown pretty quickly just in the last um, month or two. So we probably are well over 100 developers now.
0: And how long were you working on it before it was launched? And I'll put that in quotes at the uh, at the recent uh, Berlin Summit.
2: So actually, we started working on this back in December of, of last year. And uh, Intel and Wind River primarily. And we put the initial seed code into the open source community in May of this year and and made some initial announcements at openstack in vancouver in may but uh it was you know very uh it, it literally had just put it into the open source community a week or so before the openstack summit and it was really just we were kind of introducing it and then from may to uh, october of this year we put out the first uh, release, release 1.0 of Starling X, which we uh, uh, made available in late October, and then did the, the formal launch of Starling X at OpenStack in Berlin.
0: All right, so you guys have been working on this for a while. Sounds like yes. it's got a solid base going, and uh, and it sounds like it has some exciting capabilities that are really uh, very tightly aligned with what I'm hearing about You know, the need for better edge everything. Better cloud on the edge, better networking on the edge, better everything. So um, that's exciting. You know, at the beginning of the show, the other thing I neglected to do, we'd like to start with today, we're going to finish with is is I'd like to ask you how you got into tech, because we have a lot of folks who are early in career that listen to this show, um, or more um, specifically, our college students thinking about, you know, a career in tech. And uh, we'd like to uh, explore people's different paths to this career.
2: Sure. Well, So I uh, I started in my in my career, uh, actually in college, uh, in computer science and and specifically with a master's degree in operating systems theory. And, you know, I'd like to think that I'm probably one of the few people that actually got a master's degree in a technology and then stayed with that my whole career for almost 35 years. Uh, So. uh, through companies such as Texas Instruments, where I started my career, and I started as a trainer, and then as a field analyst, but then moved into product management pretty early in, in my career in the mid 80s. And and ever since that time, I have been doing product management for operating system products, uh, which is what I actually got my degree for. Uh, and, and so I have... Uh, I went through the transition from proprietary to open source back in the 90s, uh, working for a, a small software company called Santa Cruz Operation, then moving to BSDI, Monta Vista, and ultimately Wind River, uh, managing uh, operating systems uh, and uh, predominantly open source-based operating systems, and so that's led me, uh, you know, gradually over my career from being a, a Product manager to managing a team to becoming uh, VP of product.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. And and more importantly, thank you for being on the show today and and helping all of us understand you know what Starling X is and does. I know that as many people as you know were at the Berlin summit. There's many many more that that could not attend, and so didn't yes. really get to sit in those seats and hear firsthand. Uh, all about this project. So so we thank you for joining us and explaining it. We hope you have a, you'll have uh, you come back and join us in the future uh, as this project matures and and adds new features.
2: Well, that would be my pleasure. Uh, I, I think uh, it's gonna be uh, a very exciting six months for Starling X as we gear towards our release two.
0: Great, great. All right, well, that's gonna be our show for today. Thank you so much again, Glenn. Thank you, Pete. It's always a uh, pleasure to chat with you, my friend.
1: All right, see you next time. All Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.